Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookiee podcast. The Deadly Spawn from 1983. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. We have got a jam-packed show for you this evening or this afternoon, or this morning, or whenever you are listening. I am going to be joined by my very special guest, the one and only the maestro of the macabre from over at Dark Temple Pictures, Mr. Charlie Steeds. And we, of course, are going to be talking about The Deadly Spawn from 1983. So let's check out the trailer. What was that? First... There was the invasion of the Body Snatchers. Then there was Alien. Now there is the Deadly Spawn. It began with a meteor crashing to Earth. No one knew the mystery of the mutant spores it contained. Now they are free. They will grow and reproduce rapidly, eating anything and anyone in their path. The deadly spawn. The nightmare is just beginning. What do you do when unknown terror surrounds you? What do you do when there is no escape? Nowhere to hide from being eaten alive. What the f*** was that? The deadly spawn. They just keep multiplying like demon seed. The deadly spawn. Extraterrestrial terror. They're full of surprises. And the best is yet to come. Let me go! Let me go! Can anything stop these strange creatures? The movie real science fiction fans have been waiting for. The Deadly Spawn wants you to see them at this theater soon. They need every person they can get. New from 21st Century Distribution. Rated R. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And I am joined by the one, the only, the maestro of the macabre. The man in charge over at Dark Temple. Ladies and gentlemen, stamp your feet. Unleash the hounds of hell. Go wild for the one, the only, Mr. Charlie Steeds. Charlie, how the devil are you? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. It is. It's yeah. it got to be years. Year a, year, two years. I, I think maybe even longer than that. Jesus. See, just go. Time just flies, doesn't it? I know. Yeah, absolutely no. <laughs> flies. So yeah. First of all, thank you for agreeing to. Uh, Put yourself through this again. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. I mean, I've not been on a podcast in, I know it's been years because I've not done a podcast in years. I've just been avoiding doing anything. But um, it's nice to come on. It's nice to talk about 
horror films and cult movies and stuff. I was well up for it. Yeah, no, that's great. And I tell you, when in, in terms of the definition of a cult movie, <laughs> I think The Deadly Spawn may just tick every single one of those boxes. Yeah, no, I think so. Now, it is... Um, I, I mean, I love the I love the Deadly Spawn. I've always had a soft spot for it. Um, I will come on to that in a little bit. But before we dive into the Deadly Spawn, mm-hmm. first of all, I want to say congratulations on Freeze. Um, I recently, I say recently, in the last couple of weeks or so, I sat down, watched it, absolutely loved it. Just a just a really really good fun. Uh, it's got some really really good, you know, some, some great go. It's 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 fab. It's an all round great great film. So. Just wanted you have on just to say, well, you know, just thank you so much for 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 giving that releasing that into the world. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you watching it. I mean, like obviously, you know, it's 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 quite Lovecraftian and everything else. And mm-hmm. so, where did you um, where did it come from? Where did that idea come from? Well, basically, what happened was uh, I got approached by the company for digital media to make a movie. We're going back and forwards for ages trying to figure out what to do. And eventually they kind of settled on the idea that as long as the film had snow in it and was set in a snowy landscape, they'd be happy. So obviously for me, that's quite a a broad topic. You know, it's like, you know, of all the things I could do, as long as I've got snow in it, is you know they're gonna let me make it so i was thinking great so my mind instantly went to basically let you know let's just make the film i want to make let's just tackle a story i've been wanting to do for a while so my mind just went straight to fish monsters and lovecraft and all this sort of stuff that i have been sort of itching to have a go at yeah and um, i just had to find a way to set it in the snow and all the, all the way through the process i think the 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 company were asking me you know uh, why fish monsters in the snow and you know how are you going to do the ship in the snow and couldn't it be like you know they talked about doing a yeti and they talked about doing maybe something prehistoric like dinosaurs the whole time i was just like you know trust me it's got to be fish monsters and we'll put them (laughs) on the boat and we'll get the boat to be in the snow (laughs) and so you know i managed to just wrangle this and I will say, though, like with Freeze, I did put my absolute everything into trying to get this movie to be the best I could possibly get it to be because of this fact that, you know, I basically had free reign to do almost whatever I wanted, which is mm. quite a rare thing. You know, when when you're being sort of told that, you know, you've got, a, you've got to have werewolves in this environment or you've got to have vampires in this environment, it can be quite restricting, but this was purely me being able to just do whatever I wanted to do. And so I went all out to try and make it as good as I could get it to be, you know. And I mean, you, you can definitely see that. I mean, the because you went and shot on location, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, so where in the jet setting world did you guys uh, end up? Yeah, well, basically, when you're making these lower budget films, like, you know, when you're shooting, if if you can get an amazing location then that's going to help you so much. Like it's going to just help you to elevate the movie, to 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 disguise what is a low budget movie and try and do your best to make it seem like a, you know, much higher budget movie. And that all comes down to getting a good location. And so this film was written around three locations that I knew would look fantastic and I knew I could get. So the exteriors are all shot in Norway um, and it's, 
pretty much the I basically went to the exact same spot where in Empire Strikes Back they filmed Planet Hoth because nice. when you think of like big snowy landscapes that's what well this is what I think of I think you know I, I think Hoth I'm not a huge Star Wars fan but that's just what comes to mind so I, I went and scouted the exact location um, which is only you can only get to it by train there's no roads there um, wow. and I went and scouted it uh, and it was treacherous like it was quite high <laughs> and it, was, it was blizzardy and you know it was you step in the snow and the snow you fall and you know it goes right up to your waist it goes like up to your belly um, <laughs> and it was just it, basically I got all the way there I booked my accommodation for all the cast to be right there as well and and I got there and I was like there's no way this is going to work like there's no way we can film here so on the train journey from the where that where Hoth is which is a place called Fincer mm. on the on the train journey from Fincer back to our accommodation I was just sat on the sat on the train staring out the window and in the distance I saw this sort of big sort of mountain looking thing and I just thought that is gorgeous I wonder if I could shoot there you know so then on the shoot day I just took the actor we did we only did four days out in the snow mm. um, but it's very very slow filming out in the snow you know I'm amazed to be on it like I'm not super happy with how the snow stuff looks but it was treacherous like properly properly treacherous i could not see what was on the screen because you're just snow blind and it's so bright couldn't see what was in focus couldn't see if the camera was wobbling or if it was all you know if it was all um balanced and everything if the angles were right you could barely see the actors were freezing i was freezing it was a sort of thing you know you're, you're pushing the record button but your finger's so frozen you don't know if you actually pushed it or not you know it was that level of cold um God. but we shot there for four days which a very slow process because you can get like i don't know one maybe maximum two minutes of footage a day in that sort of condition in those sorts of conditions but um yeah i took the actors there and i just said look there, there's the mountain that's where i want to shoot and we walked towards the mountain it was all uphill and we were walking for like an hour and a half and the mountain was just not getting closer you know we kept walking eventually <laughs> We gave up and I said, this is as close to the mountain as we're going to get. You know, this is where we're going to film. But um, it was a stunning location. Everywhere you look was stunning. You know, yeah. and, when, and when the sun set, it, everything was pink and gold and glowing. It was like, it was definitely one of the most amazing places I've ever been. Um, so that was one of the locations. The other was this huge I guess it's like a cave system, but it's basically an abandoned quarry near um, Bath in Wiltshire. Um, mm. And basically Bath is built out of the stone that was mined from this quarry. So you're walking around the quarry and you can see all the stone and it, and it looks, you can tell that it's the same stone that like half of Bath is built with. Yeah. Uh, and um, the quarry is privately owned and the owner, you know, he, he said to me like, you know, I've been in there. I've been in there once in the last ten years. You know, so it's like very unexplored territory, and you just walk into these tunnels. You know, he let he let me in. He was just a friend of my grandparents. Yeah. So managed to sort of we we wrangled it so we could use this location, and um, I go into this quarry, and you can walk through the tunnels for twenty minutes, twenty five minutes without 
without repeating yourself you just you just keep going and going and going into absolute pitch black darkness it's terrifying in there uh there's all these sort of wooden beams um that are sort of crumbling away and i think probably the owner thought we were only kind of going to go maybe two three four minutes walk into it but you know me being me i wanted to go right into the very depths and when you got to the very very end you know when you walked straight on for 25 minutes you got to these huge caverns where you know massive pieces of stone had fallen and the whole thing is like you kind of weren't allowed to be in there you know it was it's completely condemned now in fact when when we when we filmed in there they have since sealed it off because i think they realized actually you know they, they went way deep into this place so it's all been sealed off so no one's ever going in there again you know until it until oh, it wow. gets <laughs> opened up um because we went back to do some reshoots and it was everything was sealed off you know so we had to we had to do it in the sort of safer area mm. um so that was one location that again uh looked looked stunning and then um the other one was the ss great britain in bristol um which is just you know a huge museum ship and i managed to get it for a decent enough price i was very chuffed when i realized we could film on there and we did three days of filming on there which were the most hectic three days of filming because there was about 25 minutes of footage we needed to get so everyone had to be really well rehearsed and it was just go 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 you got you got one take you know film as quick as you can that is filming i mean that is shooting by the seat of your pants Mm -hmm. that is and i mean it looks fantastic it looks great and i mean i know you said that you weren't happy happy about the about the snow they looked fabulous um and it sort of you know they most certainly elevated it um and what I, you know, I bet the actors really appreciated being in period costume, mind you, in the snow. <laughs> oh, they, they, they were absolutely frozen. And, you know, I, I try not to read reviews of the film, but I have seen people commenting, you know, where where are their, you know, Arctic uniforms? You know, where's their snow gear? And th- like, you know, these are just the, the weird things that end up sort of happening when you're making a movie on a budget and on a time frame. Yeah. I had all these like old fur jackets, but you know, they had to be period, you know, early 1900s. So I had to get all the period stuff. So all these jackets are coming via the post. And, you know, you, you know, when I'm making these films, you've got like 200, 300 props coming through the door. And, you know, when you get to set, if you forget even one of these props, you know, everyone's looking at you thinking, Oh, he's very disorganized. Yeah. You know, and it's like, no, there's, you know, 300 props showed up, but it was just this one thing. Yeah, but, you know, that one thing could be a crucial thing. And the and anyway, I think about two out of six jackets showed up, you know, of, of the Arctic gear. I had gloves and I had these big fur coats, but only two out of six showed up. So I just made the choice. Do you know what? We can't have two people in jackets and everyone else is freezing to death. Let's just do... <laughs> They just flee the ship. They don't have time for the jackets. Um, but yeah, I bet the well, I know the actors weren't weren't best pleased because they imagine. were absolutely. And you know, some of the actors would they be walking along in the snow in these shots, and you'd notice like their their boot their boot and sock would 
their leg would come up out of the snow and their boot and sock would have been left behind. So now they're just walking barefoot through the snow <laughs> and you're kind of like, you know, shouting at people to, oh, you've lost your boot and they're getting their, you know, they've got their socks soaking wet. They're trying to dry their foot. And meanwhile, you're being hit with this frozen wind. And, and when the sun went down, because like about four o'clock, the sun started to go down, the temperature would drop fast and i will say uh, at least a day worth of filming was never used out of like there's footage a day's worth of footage we never used because it just was too treacherous you know we just it, it was unusable you look i'm looking at the footage and there's the actors and their skins turning blue oh god being battered they got snow in their eyes and their hair's blowing everywhere and um yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, there's, there is great nods to, to Lovecraft in this. Yeah. Um, are you a fan of Lovecraft? Yeah, I am. Like, I'm I'm not I'm not like a huge Lovecraft geek. I'm not like a super fan. Mm. I've, I've probably read like relatively little Lovecraft, but I just I'm more and more I'm turning to Lovecraft as a source of inspiration. You know, I would definitely yeah. say I'm a huge Lovecraft fan. You know, this is this is my probably my most lovecraftian movie but you know i've made other movies in fact at the minute i'm just finishing post-production on a film that's been in post-production for a long time now um gods of the deep which mm. is about a submarine that basically awakens cthulhu and has a huge fight with a full-scale winged cthulhu with the tentacle face so you know but i, I definitely wanted to take the whole vibe of how I feel when I'm reading a Lovecraft story and, and the sort of atmosphere. Um, I wanted to take all of that, put it into this movie without necessarily being, you know, really explicitly following any sort of Lovecraft storyline. But, you know, the Necronomicon is obviously in there. Yeah. And I guess the, the character um, Striner, Captain Striner is a very sort of like, there's there's always these characters in Lovecraft stories where it's like the slightly older researcher who has just gone completely to the dark side. Yes. Know, following down this dark lane of um, exploration into things that they shouldn't have been doing and goes crazy. Um, so that's completely, you know, completely a, a Lovecraft thing. So I was just drawing on the sort of the themes that that I enjoy when I'm reading Lovecraft and, and putting them in. Yeah. Yeah. There's such a, such a rich universe to draw on. Um, yeah. And some of Lovecraft stuff is, you know, when you read it and it's sort of the, excuse me, when you, you know, and some of it is you, you sort of, it's very much of its time. Don't get me wrong. There's a few, there's a few issues with some of his views. Um, <laughs> but like one of the things that I love about it's because it's just, you know, because, because it does go from this sort of, this otherworldly sort of right to, to the it goes from the sublime to the ridiculous mm -hmm. you know where they because you'll have moments where you know the person is you know the who's going mad is right in the book and i can hear them coming up the stairs oh <laughs> yeah. my god ah and they've yeah, actually yeah. written ah yeah yeah <laughs> but within that you've got this i mean the mount you know um the mountains of madness is just is is incredible absolutely yeah. incredible I don't know, Guillermo del Toro has been sort of fighting to try and make that for years. Um, yeah, and he got, yeah, one of, yeah, you know, um, one of my favorites is Dagon. I love yeah. Dagon. I think it's just, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant story. And a really underrated um, 
uh, underrated film as well, Dagon. It's really, really good. Um, yeah, well, I think all the Stuart Gordon and Lovecraft adaptations are like are just brilliant. I mean, obviously, that's my first introduction, probably my first, yeah, it would have been my first introduction to the name Lovecraft is, you know, Reanimator and From Beyond, which yeah. are two favorites, Castle Freak. Um, and Castle then Freak is incredible. Yeah, and then there, there's, a, there's a handful of other like really cool ones that are out there. But, um, you know, obviously Stuart Gordon's vision is like of those like 80s films, I guess, because it's the 80s as well. You know, yeah. it's, it's um, they're very colorful. They're, they're, I'm just going to describe it as 80s. You know, it's like very rubber monster and quite campy. But um, there's there's my, my introduction to Lovecraft later on was like on online. I would just find all this like artwork that I loved, all this fantasy art. And it always was like, you know, Lovecraftian this and Lovecraftian. Mm. And I just discovered this, you know, Lovecraftian art and Lovecraftian ambient music. And there are these um, two hardback books that I have. I've forgotten the name of, I think it's a French illustrator and he's done uh, Mountains of Madness, parts one and two. And he's done Call of Cthulhu and he's got uh, the Dunwich Horror coming out and he's got The Shadow over Innsmouth coming out. Mm. And then these big hardback books with gorgeous, super realistic illustrations um and the whole look of that to me is just like that is what lovecraft feels like when i'm reading it it doesn't feel like 80s camp it feels like you know this i I don't know how to describe it but you know that's what lovecraftian is to me and with freeze that was and i mean that was entirely the, the way i wanted to go was try and follow more like what some of these illustrators have been doing because i think I have not really seen, I love the Stuart Gordon movies, but I've not really seen anyone do Lovecraft the way I think, you know, the way I picture Lovecraft and the way that if you go to the online community of all the Lovecraft stuff, of like all the Lovecraft art, none of it really looks right. You know, like it doesn't, you know, in film, it's never been done this way. You know, I reckon Guillermo del Toro would, would do it properly if he did at the Mountains of Manus. He'd go for that like, big epic fantasy feel but that was basically what i was trying to do with freeze was like all of all of my shots all of my framing i always was going for wider and i was trying to find big locations and trying to just like really you know make it look a bit more epic scale because lovecraft has that feel of epicness you know oh absolutely absolutely i think i think richard stanley kind of got a got close with the color out of space yeah, so certainly with those like the big CGI sequences of all the color coming out of the well, that was tapping into like the the pure epicness yeah. of what you feel when you read it, and you know some of the creature effects in that film were were brilliant. You know, funnily enough, another strange, twisted, like multi limbed creature crawling around in an attic, just like Deadly Spawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the sort of. I love how Lovecraft has just decided that he is not going to really describe anything. Right. It, yeah. His creatures <laughs> yeah. are never, you, you never get a full blown. It, it's just, you know, they, they are undescribable, you know, and, and even the name Cthulhu is not how it's really pronounced. It, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's just brilliant. It's just wonderful. I mean, strangely enough on my desk actually is a, is a bust of Cthulhu. Um, yeah, same. Like, I have a bust of Cthulhu. Well, you know, in it, being a filmmaker, these are the perks of being a filmmaker. In my living room, I have a human-sized winged Cthulhu with the tentacle face. 
Of course you do. Of course you do. And that's, <laughs> and that's not out of place in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> that's fantastic. No, you, you couldn't ask for better than that. <laughs> the other great one is, and I've got it downstairs, it's a graphic novel of um, The Unknown Dream Quest of Kadeth. Oh, um, which is one of his un- one of his unfinished ones, and they sort of kind mm-hmm. of pull it. It's and again, that is well worth um, picking up and sort of uh, checking out. Oh, yeah, um, I'll have to look into that one. It's a re. It's so bizarre. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's wonderful. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, anyway, getting back to slimy, undescribable, uh, sort of amorphous creatures, the deadly spawn from nineteen eighty three. Um, we start with talking about the Lovecraft influence, seeing as we're on Lovecraft, because it's only just dawned on me how Lovecraftian Deadly Spawn is in itself. You know, as a you were talking about color out of space, you know, meteor yeah. out in the sky, little alien creatures like that's Lovecraftian in itself. Oh, god, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I sort of I was always under the impression that this ended up in the clutches of the DPP and on the video nasties list. And I was amazed that it never did. Oh, really? It, yeah, I, I, I was under the impression it did. No, it, it, I don't, it, not even on the section one or the section two or the section. I don't think it ended up on, because the cover for right. this, the VHS cover for this mm-hmm. is nightmare inducing for a child <laughs> yeah, to see yeah, yeah. because it was, it was the big chunky cases. Yeah. Big chunky black case with yeah. the lead creature, um, all teeth and slime and just growling away. And yeah, I know the one. It is like, you know, I've, I've mentioned this time and time again. One of the video, one of the local video stores I used to frequent back, you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was essentially a converted terraced house. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would walk in and what would be the living room would be downstairs and they'd have all the new films that all the newer <laughs> stuff would be downstairs. Right. Uh-huh. And then you'd go upstairs and there would be these like sort of large bookshelves that you'd kind of see in a library, in a, in a library, uh-huh. essentially, but obviously uh-huh. being converted to sort of fit uh, films uh, yeah. of VHS covers. Now, <laughs> and there was one massive stand right in the middle and that had the kind of sort of the, not old you know the the, the newy oldy kind of the stuff that is sort of people have rented you know and they'd moved it upstairs right, right. and then <laughs> and then on the back wall you had all the martial arts movies which was great because yeah. they had an amazing collection of great martial arts movies <laughs> then around the other side you'd have the kids films mm-hmm. but directly behind in front of the kids films so as a child you would stand looking at the cartoons and everything else but you'd mm-hmm. have the full horror section at your back <laughs> yeah. and front and center in that would be the deadly spawn. Right. <laughs> Those teeth just glaring at you. Um yeah. side note, directly opposite was all the softcore porn. So right. <laughs> on full display. <laughs> Quite a mixture of um images walking into that room. Is it any wonder I'm the way I am? <laughs> um but yeah that 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 sort of um because this was 90 this was 83 this came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was right in the right in the eye of the storm of the you know of the DPV, but it never did. And you think about like some films that ended up on that list just because of their cover. Yeah. Um, I mean, the g- great example of that is the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ended up in there. The Dolly Parton musical ended up on there. But <laughs> um, you know, I mean, famously, 
obviously the fact that, that it's you know even though it's Nazi exploitation everything as SX SS experiment camp uh-huh. um that cover pretty much guaranteed that it was going on that list yeah um you know that artwork of that time um you know island of death that's another one that really <laughs> yeah. should it have been it's pretty nasty and yeah it's got some bestiality in it so yeah probably you know they would you know it, it was probably it was definitely going to be seized by uh by the you know the powers that be at that time um yeah. well the deadly spawn for it's like gore and and guts and and all the makeup which still even now i reckon looks really realistic yeah, yeah. and the cover being so scary it should it probably would have been more deserving to have been on the list. Yeah, I mean, like some people, you know, would have swept it up and put it in. I mean, it's interesting that because I mean, I'm currently doing quite a bit of research around that sort of that that, that kind of stuff at the uh-huh. moment. Um, but it's it's such an interesting time. I'm a I'm a you know I'm a firm believer in sort of you know adults are adults and they should be allowed to watch what they want to watch. Yeah. You know, hence why we're adults. Um, and censorship is sort of like a bit, you know, it's a fairly big old debate, but it is interesting that how some things like the deadly spawn just completely no, we'll miss that one out, but we'll go for <laughs> you know, we'll go for the Dolly Parton music because it's got the word whore in it. <laughs> um, so this was directed by uh Douglas McEwen, it was written uh-huh. by Douglas McEwen. Um, it was it stars Charles George Hildebrand. Tom DeFranco, Richard Lee Porter, um, Gene Taffler, Karen Teague, James Brewster, Elisa Neal, Ethel, Ethel McNicholson, uh, and John Shermling. Um, cinematographer on this was uh, Harvey M. Bernabaum. And I think he does a fantastic job with this. I think yeah, he shoots I mean, really, really well. I think, for me, I think when I first... Put on the. I mean, I'll tell you when I first watched the Deadly Spawn, which was when Arrow released the uh, released it to DVD. I, I don't know, possibly that was the first DVD release of it. I, I have no idea of the history, but you know when it, when it came to Arrow and Arrow was like a new thing at the time. You know, it was it was or, or the Arrow video, I should say, was was a new thing. You know, all these white covers with all. Yeah. The, this is when I was. I mean. I don't know how I don't know if I'm older or younger than you, but you know, I was a teenager. I was like, you know, probably 15 or so, 16 probably, when all those first arrow titles came out. And, you know, I was sort of I was into horror, but I'd only been into horror for like a year or two. Mm. So I was collecting all of them, you know, I was collecting them all up. And the Deadly Spawn came out. Well, my my first reaction to it watching it was a bit, you know, what the hell is this that I'm watching? <laughs> because it looked so scuzzy. That was my yes. first one. You know, on, on a rewatch, I think I do. I do think I, I think the cinematography of the uh, the Deadly Spawn stuff, you know, with the creatures, is is great. You know, the basement and the attic. Yeah, they really yeah. make it all look terrifying. I think it's a very interesting choice how you know throughout the rest of the film, the house is so bright all of the time like for a horror film it's quite interesting but then mm. it really shows off all the creature effects which as i say the creature effects on the gore like still hold up looking quite realistic even today yeah um, absolutely absolutely so, so that's interesting but um yeah it certainly has uh I, i've not seen a blu-ray version of it i think then i think there is a blu-ray version of it that you can watch for free on youtube yes um, there, is. Love, yeah, there is i'd love to see how cleaned up they can actually get it because the only version I've seen is this still slightly scuzzy Arrow edition where the screen is like 
kind of well, crop. Like I have got um, a one of the Vipco DVD release of it. Oh right, um, <laughs> and essentially, I think th- I think it's a straight VHS rip, and it looks like dog shit. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it looks like absolute dog shit. Um, but actually, the YouTube, um, the YouTube, uh, the the Blu-ray that that's on there, it's pretty good. Cleans it up really, really well, and it looks right. great. It looks great. Um, yeah. I mean, it's there are some really interesting choices in this film. I think one of the t- most terrifying um, things in the entire film is the wallpaper. Um and the interior decor of that house because that is terrifying. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) I don't think they were afraid. I because they shot this in the producer's house. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that producer was a. I don't think he ever saw a paisley pattern or a flowery (laughs) pattern that he didn't like. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There's a lot. There's a lot going on. (laughs) It's a lot of chins. Yeah. Very, very, very chintzy. Um. Lots of the American listeners are going, what the fuck is Chintzy? Um, <laughs> uh, it's very sort of uh, Laura Ashley. Um, but yeah, yeah, you are right. There is a lot of this that is shot in very, very bright, you know, bright light. Um, yeah, I think that's quite striking about the film. For, for like, you know, when you put on an early 80s horror movie, because what, you know, one of the things I like about 80s horror movies is everything's nice and, and dark and atmospheric. Um, and then you watch, you know, the modern horror films that get made now and everything's looks like it's the Ikea catalogue, you know, yeah. bright and modern and perfect. And it just it bugs the hell out of me. There is that sort of there is something about a film that is a little bit scuzzy looking. <laughs> yeah, there is something about it. There is something that sort of really lends itself to that sort of like, ugh kind of feeling to it that sort of like you know when you look at driller killer yeah when you look at um you know even full cheese movies so you know the, you know when you look at you know as, as fantastic as like the gates of hell trilogy is and like yeah. you know when you look at zombie flesh eaters there's a bit of that you're like oh there's something <laughs> isn't you know and like particularly the, you know the new york ripper yeah, um, yeah i mean you feel like you need to have a shower after <laughs> after watching that but it's yeah, yeah. but that's sort of like because obviously they were shooting on sort of very, very as cheap stock that they could possibly get their hands on. Um, yeah, and I think when, when you're shooting on 16 millimeter, you get that sort of like the horror sequence, get that Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of like grainy, gritty look, and yeah, Rob Zombie with Devil's Rejects shot again on 16 millimeter to give it that sort of nasty grain. I love it. I think it looks great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a, I've got a 16 millimeter camera, uh-huh. um, and I've got some film. I have not had the balls to play with it in <laughs> any way, shape, or form yet. That is a bold choice that is waiting to be because shooting on film, it's not like digital. You've got one, you know, it takes a lot to film on that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's expensive. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I love the look of it, but, and I would love to shoot on film. I've, I've never shot on film. I've never had any experience with film whatsoever. Even at film school, they never got film out just for like a day exercise or anything. I've, I've got, just got no idea with film. But um, I've looked into the costs of it and it was just like, right, yeah, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just stick with digital. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like some filmmakers would even do things like they would cut the 16 millimeter in half to make uh-huh. it go longer. 
uh-huh. you know, which again reduces the quality massively. Right, right, massively. Um, but yeah, th- I mean, the budget for uh, the Deadly Spawn was twenty five thousand. Twenty five thousand yeah. dollars. That was nothing. Absolutely yeah, well, I, I was, nothing. I was looking this up because I wanted to see what it was for like inflation you know i wanted to see what what twenty five thousand dollars got you back in the early yeah. 80s now. And, it, and, it, and i think google said it worked out sort of like seventy five thousand dollars or something like that but i've got this book um you know you're saying about deadly spawn being the ultimate cult movie and yeah it, it really is because you know not, I mean, not only have i got the dvd and the soundtrack i've even got this book let me just read you the, the title of the book and i recommend it to anyone who loves deadly spawn it's called making the 1980s science fiction horror monster cult classic the deadly spawn yeah and um anyway in there the producer says or one of the producers the guy who wrote it says that it wasn't twenty five thousand. it was it was under twenty thousand dollars so pretty low budget and wow. you know I, I think i mean I don't know how they even pulled off all the effects and stuff for for the price, but you know, as you said earlier, it was shot in one of the producers' house houses. I mean, it sounds like they just went around to friends, and um, it said something about it was funded by a medical student, and you know, all of this sort of stuff. And then just, it sounds like just a family was really keen. You know, friends and and a, and a family were really keen on it. Let them film in the house, and the guy who owned the house also painted the poster for the film and and i think their son was in the film and you know all of this sort of stuff so it was a it's a, what i love about the deadly spawn is it's a proper diy it's the definition of a diy oh. horror movie made with your mates you know and and you can there is some of it that you can see on there uh, yeah. on screen um but there's a lot of there's a lot of ingenuity in there oh um, yeah so like one of the scenes where you see like the like the baby spawn mm-hmm. um like sh- like moving across the floor yeah through the water and things they did that by actually carving that sort of like like almost like s kind of shapes into the floor um mm-hmm. and then pulling them along and it works brilliantly oh, it yeah. works I think, I, think, I think the effects just still hold up now I'm, I'm I'm amazed by them now you know yeah yeah 100% Absolutely, one hundred percent. And what I love about this film as well, it even though you know, I, I think that it, obviously after Alien came out in seventy nine, everybody uh-huh. was making evil alien movies. Yeah. Um, and like obviously the the name of the Deadly Spawn was like changed various times. So I think it was mm-hmm. like uh, I think it got called Return of the uh, Return of the Aliens, Dead the Deadly Spawn, right. and the Return of the Aliens. With a, um, uh, an apostrophe, deadly spawn. It's uh-huh. um, so to try and cash in on that a little bit. But what I think this this is is a genuine throwback to those wonderful nineteen fifties um, movies. Yeah, you know th- th- those great creature features from like from Corman and the you know from the fifties and yeah, yeah. you know that there is the and I mean there's nods to it throughout. Um, yeah. you know, you Charles's bedroom. If I, the posters on Charles' bedroom. I'm, I, again, poster envy was going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, like he chucks. You know, he chucks in there. He talks about Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, he talks about it. 
which, you know, we've covered it on the podcast. Just a brilliant, brilliant movie. Um, mm-hmm. um, the Terror from Beyond, um, it, The Terror from Beyond Space, and The Thing from Another World. He talks about the mole people. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Simpsons have kind of killed the mole people due to Hans Bullman. Um, <laughs> and like, and then you look at his posters on the wall and he's got the beast from 20,000 fa- um, Fathoms. He's got mm-hmm. Valiant Guanji's on there. Um, yeah. you know, and it, oh, it's just great, isn't it? It's absolutely... is that, is that sort of that character became a bit of a cliche in, in, in the eighties, you know, that sort of, um, there was always a character who loved all the horror films and had all the monster masks. You know, there's, there's, uh, one of, one of those characters in, um, was it, uh, Corey Feldman's character in one of the Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, movies, in chapter four, the, four, the fight. Yeah, in yeah, and then, and then wasn't wasn't there a character in Salem's Lot who had all like the monster models and the monster? Yeah, monster? good old just Mark Petrie. A bit of a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, it's just one of the, the the kid in this is one of those characters who probably clearly is the filmmaker projecting their own their own persona into the film. Yeah, well, there's a really interesting scene, isn't it? Because obviously. Unbeknownst to everybody else in the house, um, you know, the, the mother and father have been eaten, um, yeah, <laughs> in quite spectacularly gory fashion. <laughs> yeah, um, they get you know, th- I mean, that scene itself, uh, when he trots down, um, and he just gets ripped apart essentially and just eaten. Yeah, um, so I- much blood in this film. Like I always appreciate a film where. You know, a horror film where this is the secret to horror films, in my opinion, is just throw in huge amounts of blood. You're, you're always going to make the audience happy if you just throw all that blood around. And this is a film with tons of blood, like the, the basement floor is, you know, has inches of <laughs> blood, you know, just pooling on the floor. It's just <laughs> there's blood everywhere. I mean, the, I mean, there's this where it's, it's, it's clearly eating his stomach. Yeah. Um, and the spray is going everywhere it is everywhere um and it's not like kensington gore kind of colors this is like this is good red gory blood just being splashed across everything it's great stuff absolutely great stuff but there's that scene um where um uncle herb um who's a psychiatrist decides to sort of um have an impromptu um psychoanalysis of poor Charles. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, when he sits him down and he starts asking him all these questions, and actually it turns uh-huh. out he's the most normal person in the entire room, which yeah, is yeah, interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because right at, the, you know, because of course we had in the UK, and we've already talked about it, we had the video nasty scare, where they're worried mm. about the corruption of the youth. Um, in America, they had the satanic panic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if the you know the filmmaker's got a little bit of a slight not you know a bit of a wink nudge nudge. Actually, yeah, yeah. we're the most normal people here. Um, yeah, because all of his answers are, are so incredibly reasonable, aren't they? Like, yeah, the, this guy's trying to really quiz him on all the different you know <laughs> all the different effects of the horror on his mind, and he's just answering such a such an intelligent way. And it's 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 a, you know, I mean, lots of. Um, child actors get slammed mm. for their performances, particularly in, in some of the lower budget for, you know, everybody instantly goes to um, the young, the, the blonde head kid in the house by the cemetery um, right. for excruciating child acting performances. 
but I think that's more to do with a dub. Love him. Um, think, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a really good performance. It's a re and it's a really nice scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it, it sort of it sort of plays out quite well um, mm. because actually, as the film progresses, Charles is the one who you know who, who saves the day. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's a it's a great you know it's a really really good scene that kind of led to that. Now, the other scene that really sort of jumps out for me um, is where he's Charles is trapped in the basement. Um, where you get the sort of you know obviously the some you know it's very very dark, mm-hmm. and he stood perfectly still watching um the bodies of his parents just. <laughs> getting ripped to pieces and then pulling the flesh off the skeleton and everything (laughs) um but what struck me in there was the light in the light in in there um you know the fact that you know you get the great little sort of slits of light on the eyes and it's kind of just you know he can't move because he figures out that the uh the creatures hunt by sound um what's your thoughts on that 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 scene well, yeah, I mean, I I love all the basement stuff and I love all the attic stuff. I, I love that they really go there with, as you said, like really pulling the flesh apart, pulling, don't they like pull the mother's face apart? It's like yeah. just so graphic. Yeah. Um, but, but they definitely love this effect of um, the only film I can really remember the effect, like the first time I saw it was maybe Psycho, you know, when you mm. knock the bulb, the, the, the free swinging light bulb in the basement and you get that effect of, the the light sort of you know shining all around the room and casting yeah. shadow and then swinging away so they love that effect in this you know they they love to sort of have that big deadly spawn creature being revealed by this flickering light you know but yeah no I think I think they those basement and attic scenes are really effective in this yeah they they work it does work so well um, the other great you know I mean this. Because it it does take a little bit of a dip in certain parts. I mean, it's only 70, 72 minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 72 minutes or 75? Sure. 78, 78. Sorry, 78 minutes. So it's fairly, you know, but it does have a little dip at certain points. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where we do get a, bit, a little bit of sort of character, expo- ex, you know, exposition. and well, it's, a, it's a very, very simplistic horror film and, and a simplistic story which i kind of miss because nowadays in, in like modern horror everything needs to be so complicated because i guess we've i guess people have seen it all before but nowadays you know they need to really overcomplicate, and there needs to be a, a sort of like this psychological element needs to be in there but deadly spawn is really just you know the deadly spawn find their way into the basement of one house and and eat everyone <laughs> you know it's like yeah yeah is that it's kind of that simple you know and they're in the basement then they're in the attic you know it's kind of it's almost that simple um and i like that it's got like i you know it's short and sweet but it's got a simple story but i think yeah that that inevitably leads to there's a few sequences where you know there's some character stuff going on that you know i, I think all the acting and everything in this film is, is really good um like you know f- for for a sort of DIY movie, you know, I think it really holds up. Um, but um, yeah, I think inevitably you get those those scenes where you're not with the deadly spawn. That that sort of a little bit they make it drag a tiny tiny bit, but generally I think it's really well paced. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that's you know I think I think the fil- it's clear the filmmakers knew that they had to keep the story moving. Mm-hmm. They had to keep it ticking over. 
mm-hmm. um you know and you know i think you, you know, in terms of sort of overcomplicated storytelling um i think and like have you noticed at the moment editing is a lost art because films mm-hmm. are coming in at like two and something hours yeah yeah and i think in terms of that you know when when you've got two hours everything kind of like slows down and it becomes a bit sort of heavy and you know <laughs> whereas the things just you know this just goes you know it does yeah, go yeah. it go 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 uh, I go think, i think a creature feature lends itself to a shorter runtime because you know basically you want the creature to be unleashed as soon as possible and then it can only sort of be scary with the creature on the loose for so long you know before before someone yeah. needs to sort of stop it you know but um obviously there's like a really clear inspiration with the deadly spawn uh with the blob as well because the blob is like you know meteorite something comes out and um i i was reading in this deadly spawn making of book how they kind of looked at the blob yeah. As, as an inspiration for building the creature but the creature design i think is is one of the best things about this movie i wish that we had you know i wish these types of deadly spawn creatures with with the teeth and everything were, had caught on as much as you know some of the other cre- uh, some of the other creatures that we've had but i think it's a really unique design and i think that's you know it's really got a lot going for it because of that you know yeah, and I mean, and also later on, if you look at like um, the musical of Little Shop of Horror, uh-huh, uh-huh. it's a little bit of a nod there. Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah that's there's, very there's a touch, there's a touch of that there, and I mean, you know, again earlier than that with with the the Corbin Jack Nicholson um, uh, movie, yeah. um, but it is a great design, and it's you know, it's slimy and gooey and. Um, you know, it it's really you know it's really sinister. There is something yeah, yeah. really really sinister about that. Um, you know, and they've just gone for it. There's a great story apparently where they built, where the you know the guy who built the actual creature, um, mm-hmm. he built it in his basement, uh-huh. and then when it came time to move it, it was too big. Yeah, yeah. So they had to saw one of the heads off. Oh no! <laughs> to get it through the door and then reattach it when right. the, when they got it into situ. Um, yeah, I mean, you can tell in the movie that the, that the whole puppet is pretty big. You know, it fills up like the whole room. You know, and I mean, right? There is, you know, I I give me good practical effects. Any give me bad practical effects actually any day of the week over CGI. Because there is yeah, something yeah. far more visceral about it. Um, yeah. And I think, that, you know, The Deadly Spawn is a pretty visceral film. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, one of the highlights for me, and I've kind of, you know, I've written, you know, in my notes I've written down, Vegetarian Buffet Massacre. <laughs> it is a great scene. Yeah, yeah, that, that's one of the best bits of the movie. And you can tell that all the people in it are just having a great time, you know. Yes. And I love the one, you know, and I mean, they go pretty hard. Old grandma has like <laughs> one of these things like boring its way into it, her skull and white <laughs> yeah. in her, you know, foot. And then you got one of the other old deers and it's like attached to his leg. But there's one old girl who's got her shoe off <laughs> yeah. and is giving them hell. She's really giving, giving <laughs> lumps. Out. And as everybody's fleeing, she's still behind with her shoe off. She's really <laughs> giving everybody a good. 
they it's like quite un, it's quite unusual for uh scenes like this in a horror film with like you know elderly elderly actresses like in there you, you really don't see that very often but i think it's a probably a testament to the filmmaker and like the uh the atmosphere they must have had having fun making this movie to to have had all these like older actresses in there you Absolutely. know and they're all going for it full <laughs> throttle you know so they must have had the full trust of you know the filmmaker they they must have really believed in what they were doing because they all do a really convincing job of it you know covered in blood and everything <laughs> and you can see actually that that everybody's having fun yeah i think uh, so you know and it's sort of there is something there's a charm to the deadly spawn as well can't believe i'm using the word the deadly spawn and charm but no, there no, is a no. real charm about it yeah, like I said earlier, when I watched it, when I watched this Arrow Arrow video DVD the first time, I, I was kind of, I was not interested really in the Deadly Spawn. I was kind of unsure what I just watched, and you know, it didn't it did not leave an effect on me. Yeah. And then you know, years later, like maybe six or seven years later, I sort of came back to it and watched it again. And maybe it's because you know, uh, ten years ten years later, you know, I'm I'm now making movies myself and i guess i've got a bit more of a pre an appreciation for sort of like this diy style of filmmaking so when i watched it again you know later on uh, years later i loved the deadly spawn and that's kind of where my real obsession with deadly spawn has sort of come from but just interesting that my first watch you know it didn't really appeal to me but yeah since then i as i said i've watched it i've read the book about it and i, and I just love the deadly spawn it's a real grower isn't it it really is, yeah. So definitely, is. as you say, it like it has, it definitely has its charm. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you've got a lovely bit of vinyl as well, in yeah. terms of the soundtrack. That you know, I do a vinyl envy there. <laughs> yeah, is, well, yeah, I've been, I've been wanting the vinyl for Deadly Spawn since you know my passion for Deadly Spawn was reignited when I had a rewatch, and they they did actually release it with, you know, a really nice, slightly Deadly Spawn coloured vinyl with you know it was all sort of like this purple veiny looking oh, nice. vinyl and that edition has been in my ebay watch list for like a couple of years but it's always been you know a hundred pounds or more yeah you know, it's a real uh collector's item now and then i was just scrolling through ebay and i find okay it's, it's, the, it's the vinyl but it's with a just a plain black vinyl you know there's no mm nice purple patterns on it but it was like 25 pounds so i had to quickly nab it and then you know listening to it it's actually it's a, it's a really good soundtrack it's a know? really good I, and i mean i love i'm a sucker for synth i yeah. love a good synth soundtrack um, but then it goes into these moments of like it's sort of like very mellow lounge jazz, a bit of like yeah. piano, uh, you know, but like very very unusual. Really, it kind of reminds me in a way of some of the um, instruments in the Phantasm score, which is like one yeah. of my favorite scores. It's like you got that slightly like jazzy horror vibe which was happening around this time um where there's like sort of like jazz piano going on in the in the soundtrack but somehow it works but um i think watching the film it doesn't come across that well how good the score actually is but yes. i've listened to the vinyl from start to finish multiple times uh and i love it like it's a, it's a really great soundtrack yeah it's like i love i've got the um I meant to get it out and say, take a picture and send it to you. I've got mm. the um, 
the Fulci Zombie Flesh Eater score, uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, and I got it on the green vinyl. My wife bought it for me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And it's stunning. It's absolutely, you know, and I, I love Fabio Frizzi anyway. I, I think he's just, yeah. he's a great, great composer. Um, and again, that has, you know, that's got a bit of Calypso in it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Like very um, sort of like Hawaiian themed, like sort of tropical island vibe yeah, going on. That, that's quite an iconic soundtrack. Very, very odd stuff going on in there. There, there is a moment that I think only in Italian horror you would get away with that. You've got <laughs> yeah. this great sort of ominous synth score, and then you've got this like, then it just suddenly switches to somebody playing like the xylophone. <laughs> you know, and and steel drums is great. It's absolutely superb. Now, one of the one of the moments um, that really sort of shocked me on my set, and I'd kind of forgotten about it, but it still sort of blew me. Is um, Ellen's death, uh-huh. Pete's girlfriend, uh-huh. who has her head bitten off. <laughs> And is then thrown out the window. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that that was a fantastic moment. Just the headless body toppling out of the window. It was a proper what the fuck moment because I I completely forgotten about it. Yeah, completely yeah. blanked it. <laughs> and the reason behind that is the actress um, had gotten another job. Oh, really? Because originally her character was going to survive. Um. So they had to come up with a solution, and they sort of sort of they decided to write her out. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think it's fair to say that they, you know, the director may have been a little bit pissed off that he had to change the story, um, because she dies in spectacular fashion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it gets great practical effect. Yeah, great practical effect. And I think well, Gene I'm... Simmons owns the head. Oh really? <laughs> I think Gene Simmons from Kiss owns the head. I think there's like a fact somewhere floating around that he owns that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have to steal this. I think it's quite ingenious. I'll have to steal the idea next time I'm working with an actor who I need to get rid of. Just have their head bitten off by whatever creature I've got going on, and then I can throw their decapitated corpse out the window or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it works really well. It does work well. Um you know, I was surprised we didn't get a big gushing uh, sort of Shogun Assassin style um, <laughs> sort of a gush of blood. But yeah, um, but obviously the character then of Kathy, um, played by Kar- uh, Karen Teague, she survives instead because she was originally going to be killed off. Right, she right. survived, um, which is interesting, actually, because nobody makes it out to this one um, intact. Right. Yeah. In terms of the character, there's nobody sort of like, even though sort of you know obviously Charles saves the day, um, everybody's pretty messed. Up at yeah, the end yeah. Of this. They they even go there with Charles, don't they, and have the kid get bitten and blood. Yeah. Gushing yeah. Down. Well, I well that moment where that the the, the the creature latch, you know, one of those creatures lashes latches onto him. Yeah. Um, and you think, oh my god, they're gonna he's he's gonna be dead. But yeah, actually, yeah. it's a bit of a double fake because you know the, the you know the main creature then sort of rips the other creature off and eats it. Yeah, um, <laughs> which I thought, cry, you know, you know, you're in a hardcore film, don't you? Hardcore horror when the dog or the child gets it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that you know, the, the, there's no coming back. Um, because like even Pete, you know, who we think essentially is going to be 
our hero throughout uh-huh. um goes completely barking mad yeah yeah he goes completely barking mad and like tries to kill himself and tries to throw himself at the you know at yeah. these creatures <laughs> Um, what well, I mean, did... even with it killing the parents, right? right yeah. from the, you know, and the rest of the film, you're following around this this kid. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I mean, the you know, this kid is also then wearing a big red cape. Yeah, for the rest of it. Um, did you notice when the ant arrives uh-huh. um, and they see um, uh, Charles sat on the floor, and the doctor runs over with her? Do you notice the first thing that the doctor does is stick his finger into his he- the wound in his head? <laughs> really? <laughs> he just pokes his finger into <laughs> the wound. Um, and that sort of final, that whole final sequence, actually, mm-hmm. felt for me a little bit sort of Romero-esque. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of busyness. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, you know, and if you look at, like, um, any of Romero's films, mm-hmm. um particularly you know uh Dawn of the Dead when they're in the um in the studio in the TV studio everybody's yeah. running around yeah yeah everybody's shouting there's a lot of there's a lot of busy work going on mm-hmm. um the crazies is the yeah, same yeah. there's a lot of busy work going on there and this kind of had the same feel there's lots of people lots of extras like running everywhere everybody was everything seemed very very chaotic mm-hmm. and the sort of you know, the the doctor runs over, then sticks his finger straight in the poor kid's wound. It's just like, <laughs> he's been through enough. <laughs> um, now, did you, um, you know, there's also um, an unofficial sequel to this one. Yeah, there is, and I've seen it. Yeah. I have not seen it. It's kind I watched, of. I think I watched it on YouTube. Um, oh. It was like a sort of VHS rip. It, it may well still be on there. And is pretty good actually and they have you know the the deadly spawn creatures they're not in it but there's a very very similar looking thing like you can tell that it's sort of a deadly spawn type beast that that is going around in this movie or, or i can't remember it very well but there's probably multiple deadly spawn type creatures and i remember them being huge as well um and once again really well done because it's called the Metamorphosis, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, you can get it on DVD in America. We we really could do with a release of it over here, to be honest. Yeah, there's a few that we could do with a good release of. Yeah, you know, there's there's a few kicking around. So if anybody's listening, Metamorphosis, and my other personal <laughs> favorite is the Rune Stone. We need the Rune oh, yeah, Stone. Yeah. We need a good release of the Rune Stone. You know, I go, I, I go, I bang on about the Rune Stone a lot. <laughs> I really bang on about that one a lot. I mean, I I, I probably watch it. I, I watch it at least once a year. Right, once a year, and I've probably you know. I if I've seen it. I can picture the VHS cover. Oh, um, what a cover! I don't know if I've seen it. Yeah, it's a brilliant cover. It's worth it. It's a lot of fun. It's a great. It's a really really good creature feature. <laughs> really really good. I always think the Deadly Spawn would make a good double um, bill with Extro. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you see, I'm not a big fan of Extra. I've I've really tried with Extra a few <laughs> times, but <laughs> see, see, I can't get on with Extra. It's like you know, I can see. I I do think they'd probably be a good double bill. They're they're quite similar in a way. They're both very DIY, full of really inventive effects. But the Deadly Spawn has that charm, 
I just can't get a grip on extra, but you know, maybe in another five or 10 years, I'll put extra on one day and I'll love it. But I will say the one thing I do love about extra is that one jump scare where they're driving along and they see the alien on the side of the road. Yes. <laughs> that, that that gives me, I think I had a nightmare about it after I watched it. You know, I saw it in my nightmare because it's just such a scary image. It is. It is. Now, if we were going to give scores, Mm-hmm. If we were going to give scores, because, you know, we that's what we do here. Where on a scale of one to ten would you uh, would you rate the deadly spawn? Well, do you know what? I, I'm going to rate the deadly spawn a ten out of ten. And <laughs> I'll just explain my scoring system, though, because <laughs> you know, back, back, you know, ten years ago when I wasn't filmmaking as, as my day job, and I was more of like just watching as many films as I could and analyzing them. I always had like that more critical analytical brain mm-hmm. and I would rate things, you know, but, but now, now that I'm sort of, you know, just every day I'm sat and my job, I guess, is like trying to make the films better and trying to make things better. That whole analytical side of my brain is gone. And I just think a film either does what it wants to do and, and achieves what it sets out to do or it just simply doesn't. And for a group of people getting together with less $20,000, looking to make a good, you know, creature feature, gory monster movie, well, here we are in 2023, still talking about it, still loving it. So they nailed it. So they get a 10 out of 10. Do you know what? That is probably the best... (laughs) <laughs> sort of just you know justifying a 10 out of 10 for the deadly spawn i have yeah. ever heard it is <laughs> do you know what though you are right and it is a sign of that film that actually we are still talking about it in you know 1983 so i was three when this came out mm-hmm. um you know so and it is one of my earliest memories so it's so it stayed with me yeah. um you know, and and again, it's one of those ones you go back and check it on again, and you get something new from it again. It is, you know, it is a what it is a great film, um, yeah. and and do you know what? I think it should be shown at film schools. Yeah, I no. really do. I really do because it, it, it is, it's a how-to. Yeah, yeah. If, if there was a handful of movies that I was to say, you know, look, if if you're a wannabe filmmaker and you're starting out and you've got not very much money, definitely go and look at a film like The Deadly Spawn. And, you know, I I was reading that it came out the same year as, um, or it was being made at the same time as The Evil Dead. Um, And the producer in this book is writing that um, he was getting his, you know, all the film was being processed in the same lab as the evil dead and that he would actually be in there with sam raimi and they would be comparing film and looking at each other's bits of film and you know and then and then he also says that you know the evil dead is kind of what completely buried uh the deadly spawn because the deadly spawn came out and they were crossing their fingers hoping they were going to have this big horror hit but everybody went crazy for the evil dead you know and the deadly spawn kind of just you know, went went on to become this like smaller cult movie, but I think it's it, okay. Evil Dead is a, is a proper proper classic, but I think this is almost every bit as as decent as Evil Dead, and certainly delivers on the horror. So I think Deadly Spawn deserves 
more recognition and and especially if you're a, a horror filmmaker you know the deadly spawn the evil dead there's like a handful of these lower budget movies where absolutely they're essential viewing if if you cuz cuz they just nail the sort of the ingenuity the, the the filmmaking in the deadly spawn is really good you know the the angles and the camera placement you know some of the acting a bit ropey some of the lighting and some of the grainy footage a bit ropey but the 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 principles of filmmaking are all there and they're all worth looking at even today oh completely i 100 with you on there i think the other one as well to look at would be you know into is very early john carpenter so yeah. you know dark star yeah, yeah. Um, you know assault on precinct 13 assault on yeah. precinct 13 is just phenomenal it's yeah. phenomenal filmmaking um and again you know very very lean very very tight the pace doesn't drop just phenomenal stuff great mm-hmm. stuff so as we wrap this bad boy up i know you mentioned earlier on you've got is it gods of the deep yeah gods of the deep so what else have you got lined up there well let me go through what projects i've got i mean <laughs> i'm i'm basically in a phase at the moment of i i've spent almost the whole year so far just in post-production, which is really, un- it's, it's been an unusual year for me because usually I'm sort of out there, I'm shooting one thing after the other, but I've definitely, you know, I'm get, I'm turning 30 this year. Oh, and... God forbid. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I have, I have goals of what I want to be doing as a filmmaker by the time I'm 30. I've always given myself complete free reign. You know, I've, I've been... I guess like self-aware to say, you know what, while you're in your twenties, just do whatever you want. Like, you know, just, just experiment, just see what happens. Mm. So I've been never afraid to like experiment and try all different subgenres of horror and different ways of making movies. But um, as I approach 30, I am sort of, I've, I've sort of stopped my flow of filmmaking. I'm just kind of stuck in post-production on, I have, well, I've got Gods of the Deep, which is a Lovecraftian sci-fi movie. It's my first sci-fi movie, and it, and it does feel radically different to all my other horror movies because, I don't know, it's just sci-fi is just a whole different thing, and you've got, just on every level, it's different. You know, I'm doing, like, I do my own sound design, and I'm designing the sounds for it, and mm. you're in a whole different world of you know, sirens and alarms and what noise does that button make and what noise does that electronic door make and what noise does that gun make, yeah. you know, which is just totally different to in horror. Um, so so I'm doing all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's got Cthulhu. And the reason is, t- I shot it a while ago now, and the reason it's taken so long is because there are all these Cthulhu miniature effects um, you know, you see this submarine going underwater into the deep sea, finding these underwater ruins. And a lot of it I've just built myself out of foam and spray paint and stuff yeah, like that. I remember talking to Derek. Um, yeah, yeah. um and I'm very excited to see this. Very yeah, so excited. anyway, it's it's finally coming together it, it will be finished within the next couple of weeks and it'll be wow. and it'll be released this year so we got gods of the deep and then um and you know i don't with my movies i don't promote them or mention them or talk about them until they're shot and done like i, I never really talk about things that are coming down the pipeline because mm. 
just prefer to just uh, you know I I'm I make I'm not one of these filmmakers who like post everything to social media. I, I make whole movies and I don't post a single bit of it to social media until like the edit's done and it's two years later or a year <laughs> later and finally I'm ready to start showing off what we did because I don't know it just like for me it just jinxes the project. I don't want I don't want any of it out there until it's there. But, but anyway, yeah. for the sake of this interview i'll tell you about um another another couple that i have actually shot i've got a slasher movie that i went and shot in tennessee um which is uh is a set in the 1970s um and it's got sort of like a sort of like bit of a soul music soundtrack nice um, and uh lots of um lots of the cast are african-american and it's just it's just a different sort of a vibe you know with the tennessee setting and the characters in there it's just a sort of different vibe of a slasher film that Mm. i don't think we've really seen that much of before um and it's a it's basically about a killer scarecrow but um there's a little bit to it um because it's very influenced by friday 13th new blood because the main character has psychic abilities and that is the uh ability he's pyrokinetic so he can set things on fire so there's killer scarecrow and fire and psychic powers and all this sort of stuff all coming together in the sort of like you know in the countryside of tennessee and we shot that yeah yeah we shot that we shot that last year in um sort of autumn time like october it's got that sort of like halloweeny sort of vibe all of the trees were sort of brown and so again lots of nice locations out there uh Mm. so we got that so that one's the next one that's that that has been the assembly edit has been done and I will be going in to do my director's polish. That's the next one that will come out after Gods of the Deep. And then at the start of this year, I shot a where another werewolf movie. It's my third werewolf movie. Um, don't really know what the title of it is going to be yet, but it's a it's a really quite a long script that I've been working on for mm. quite a long time. Like I wrote it over a very long period of time and, and sort of slowly worked at it as a as a real passion project of mine. Um, and it's a modern day werewolf movie, very unlike your typical sort of gothic werewolf movie because the werewolves are kind of just like these homeless people, sort of like punks in leather trench coats in and around London. The whole film is shot around London. It follows four people sort of in their 20s going through very sort of everyday life um, dramas. You know, it's very, very, very naturalistic, which is like quite unusual for me. I'm just trying something a little bit new and and very topical, like tackles a lot of modern issues. And so in a way, it's almost like, because it's four characters, their lives become interlinked through the werewolf cult. Um, but it's kind of like it's almost like four movies happening at the same time and then they all sort of start to interlink Um, and it's very sort of like Clive Barker inspired it's sort of that urban horror you know dark sort of graffiti covered alleyways and there's scenes on the train tracks and in an we filmed in an abandoned church but it's all of that sort of vibe so that's the one that's then coming after Night Harvest so nice I mean, I got you are one of my favorite filmmakers. I really, I you know, I I enjoy. I've enjoyed absolutely everything you've done so far, absolutely everything. I think Death Ranch is fantastic. 
<laughs> Thank you. I think Death Ranch is just superb. Um, um, and I bang on about it regularly. <laughs> it, is, it, it, it's, it is so it is is really, really good. It's a really good slice of exploitation cinema. And people sort of say, oh, exploitation cinema. I, I, and I use that as the highest compliment. Yeah, just no, to absolutely. pull that off <laughs> well, is, yeah. it, it takes skill. So I'm very excited whenever you got anything. I'm definitely looking forward to Gods of the Deep. Um, I love a bit of aquatic horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. You know, <laughs> you know, Deep Star Six is again is another one that I I think I go back and watch at least once every year. Yeah, um, yeah. and Leviathan. Um, so I most certainly am uh, definitely excited to see that. Um, so as we wrap this up, Charlie, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out and be coming onto the show. Uh, I really appreciate it, and we gotta leave. We can't leave it years before you're back on. <laughs> yeah, no, well- just. Thanks so much for having me on. And it's always a pleasure to come on and talk about things like the deadly spawn. So absolutely. Absolutely. So Charlie, my friend, thank you so much. You have a great evening and I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. As always, I want to say a huge thank you to Charlie for being on. Um, Can't believe it was that long since the last time he was on the show. Uh, So we definitely can't uh, leave it that long again. So once again, thank you so much for taking up your time. I know you're incredibly busy. I'm very, very excited for the release of uh, Gods of the Deep. And don't forget, Freeze is out now. And you can find that one on Amazon Prime. Okay. Next up, we have got What the Wookiee Watched. And first up, we have got the documentary King on Screen. Let's check out the trailer. Hasn't read a Stephen King book is still seen a Stephen King movie. It all started with Carrie. Seeing her burn everything down at the end, you're watching it and it's thrilling. Creep Show had a massive impact. It completely traumatized me. Aren't you going to say hello? Pet Cemetery is a great movie. Misery is one of my favorites. <laughs> Stephen King writes human beings, and then he puts them in phantasmagorical situations. Instead of setting everything in big cities, he chooses locations that are identifiable for everybody. It's an idealized America, but then it's ripped apart and sent to hell. When I think of my favorite Stephen King movies, I think of Stand By Me and The Shawshank Redemption. I remember being shocked that someone who I associated so much with horror was capable of creating something so beautiful. Much of Stephen King's work seems to be about how we treat each other. Whether it's the family in Cujo, or what's happening in The Shining between Jack and Wendy. This isn't like it's coming. This is about what's here. That's the legend of Stephen King, is able to see things in the future that the average person can't. He's been such a mirror for pop culture, but now he is his own pop culture. Okay, that was the trailer for Stephen King on screen from 2022. Now, this is a documentary um, charting 
king's work on screen. So what we get here is some essentially everybody who has ever worked with King um, talking about the movies that they've made with him, their experiences. Um, they, you know, it's it's got everything. It has got everything. So if you are a King fan. This, you know, this is probably nothing new. Very, very similar in the um, Robert England documentary that I covered last time. Um, however, this is, you know, it's quite difficult to sort of review some of these documentaries because unless you're into them, and particularly talking head documentaries where it's just that sort of, um, it is just that sort of interview process that, you know, you really need to be interested in the person, the subject. I suppose with any kind of documentary, I'm just sort of uh, wittering a little bit here. However, what I loved about this is the, um, we get to hear from Frank Darabont um, talking about his work with King. We get to hear from Mick Garris about his work uh, with King. Uh, it's got a brilliant and closing like little vignette where essentially we've got everybody who's ever worked with King playing roles uh, as little uh, as King characters and everybody pops up from uh, Randall Flagg to Needful Things from Creepshow to Cujo you name it from The Mist it's all there it is just, it's so much fun and this documentary covers everything from the very beginning right up to now um, I'm a huge King fan so I pretty much will devour um, anything King-related. The good, the bad, and the the, the not-so-good at times. <laughs> um, but this... Um, you know, we, we get we talk about all the, the, the you know his his film, his television shows. Uh, we get stuff from Nightmare and Dreamscapes, which I think is criminally underrated, um, and is one of my favourite. Uh, Red Rose pops up in there, which is again it's another one. And of course, I think the criminally underrated um, Storm of the Century um, gets a little bit of love in here. The one that really doesn't get any love, which I say about it all the time, is the Night Flyer. That deserves a bit more. But obviously we get Darabont, we get uh, Mick Garris, Tom Holland, uh, James Kahn, Mike Flanagan. Everybody pops up in here. If you are a King fan, this is, an, this is a must for you. And this should be out on all digital platforms on the 26th of June and on Blu-ray on the 18th of September and is released by Signature Entertainment. Look, guys, this is a must-see if you're a King fan. If you are a casual horror fan... Anyway, just go and get get hold of this because it it is well worth it. It is so definitely watch it, see it. Okay, all right. Up next on what the Wookiee watched, we have got the Black Demon from two thousand and twenty three. Let's check out the trailer. Have you spotted any pirate ships? Duh, duh. Are you gonna get duh. snippy with us, Bob? Ya que estamos en México, ¿por qué no intentamos hablar en español? Quiero nachos. You know, actually, I think there's a good restaurant right up here. Whoa. A lot has changed since the last time we were here. Uh, my name is Paul Sturgis. I work for Nixon Oil. Hey. Supposed to ferry out to the rig from here? Dad, I think I see it. Is that it? Yep, that's her. I'm here to do the inspection. What is it? Protection. Protection from what? Mom? 
There must be some way off this rig. Nothing works. I don't think it can take much more punishment. This is not just any shark. It's a curse. Brought on not by nature, but by wrath. Wrath? He's gonna keep getting his revenge until the sacrifice has been made. Kill it. I have a plan. You will not take my family away from me. Kill the monster. Open your eyes, Cabron. I know a big ass shark when I see one. Okay, that was the trailer for The Black Demon from 2023. Uh, the Black Demon stars uh, Josh Lucas uh, as Paul uh, Sturgis. Uh, for, uh, of course, he was in Yellowstones. Great show. Um, it also stars uh, Fernanda Yerholo uh, from Crime Macho, Raul Mendes from Sense8, and Julia Cesar Sedalia from Sicario. The Black Demon was directed by Adrian Grunberg, who wrote Rambo, uh, Last Blood, from a script by Boise Esquara. Um, this one is essentially, it, this is a man versus myth uh, versus Big fucking shark movie. Um, <laughs> and essentially what we have is a family who um, take a little trip down to Mexico uh, where the uh, where Josh Lucas's character and his wife, they essentially want to... This is where they met and fell in love, where he was working. He's got a bit of work to do to check, run a safety check on an oil rig. Uh, but when they arrive, they soon realise that the town is plagued by a giant shark and the family end up getting stranded on uh, on said oil rig um this is fun i enjoyed this some people are giving this a little bit of stick on uh, online however i really enjoyed it don't get me wrong there are moments where josh lucas uh really does serve up a nice bit of a uh, bit of ham at times um but there's enough suspense to keep this going and uh, this is a really 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 fun b movie um don't take it too seriously in any way shape or tall what i do appreciate about this one is the filmmakers give us um some really really quality um in terms of the shark effect which we don't see an awful lot of I think there's two ways you can go, isn't there, really? Uh, you can have a lot of really, really poor CGI shark, or you can have a moderately effective CGI shark, um, but don't see it as much and rely on the tension. And the filmmakers do that really, really well. I think the set of the oil rig is fun. Um, there's some nice gory moments in it. Um, it is a lot of fun, and I enjoyed this one. Um, it, it really is that kind of film that you can just, 
throw on on a Sunday afternoon and just just let it wash over you. I don't think there's any real deeper <laughs> deeper meaning behind this. Um, you know, the kids' performance in this is really good. They managed to sort of uh, stray away from um, being really, really irritating, which unfortunately um, I think um, sometimes child performances uh, can um, can kind of sort of end up a little bit like that. Um, Venus Ariel, uh, who plays Audrey, who plays the young daughter in this, is very, very good. Um, Raul Mendez is great as El Rey. Um, and um, the... Um, yeah, the overall for this one, it's just a lot of fun. It really is. Just a lot of fun. Um, and just, you know, chuck it on on a Sunday afternoon. Enjoy it. Let it wash over you. Um, again, this one is out um, on the... Well, it should be out by now by the time the show goes out. So it's out on all digital platforms on the 19th of June. And it is released on Blu-ray and DVD on the 17th of July. And this one comes to you via those good people at Signature Entertainment. So uh, enjoy that one, guys. So... Before I kind of wrap things up here, um, I just want to say once again a huge thank you uh, to my guest Charlie for being on. I really, really appreciate the time that you've taken to be with me uh, on this episode. It was so much fun chatting to you. Don't forget, Charlie, you can find most char- most of Charlie's films are available on Blu-ray, DVD and on Amazon. Uh, definitely, definitely go back and check out some of my personal favourites. Death Ranch, I've already talked about. Um, Freeze is wonderful. I'm very, very excited um, to see uh, Gods of the Deep, which should be with us sooner rather than later, which is excellent. Uh, and don't forget, you can follow me over at Facebook uh, at The Undead Wookiee. You can even find me on Facebook as well under Hugh Lloyd. You can find me on Twitter at The Undead Wookiee. You can find me on Instagram at The Undead Wookiee 1980. So please give us a follow, give us a like, say hello. I'm very, very chatty. Probably, you know, anybody who knows me knows I don't shut up. So, um, <laughs> or anybody listening to the show. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for listening. You could also, as well, guys, uh, check out some of my writing now over at the fantastic online magazine, Morbidly Beautiful. Um, those crazy fools over there have uh, allowed, uh, allowed me to sort of... Uh, part of the team i suppose yeah yeah i think that's about the best way to put it um so you can find my work there there's some amazing writing going on over there there's some great discussions some really really nice think pieces some great reviews um it's there's a whole bunch going on so go over to uh, morbidlybeautiful.com um and you can find me i've written a piece of course on the robert england documentary and on uh, the devil came at night so once again I'd like to say thank you all for taking the time up for being with me. I hope you're all well. I hope you're all okay. I hope you're all looking after each other. Because um, it's all a bit wild and crazy still. So we've got to take care of each other. So it's all that is left for me to say in the immortal words of Count Duckula. Good night out there. Whatever you are.